So a couple of weeks ago, I went to visit some friends of mine, Sally and Bigelow. And Sally and Bigelow live in Upper Nyack, and they were members and now friends of the congregation that I served in Palisades. Sally is in her mid-90s. She used to do commercials on TV. And you can still see that mischievous look, that lively self, the twinkle in her eyes, even though her health conditions at the moment might suggest otherwise. And when I got there that day, Sally had been resting because she does a lot of that these days. And on the desk in front of her, on the coffee table, were the tapes for the Book of Joy. Does anybody know about the Book of Joy? Right? It's written, it's a narrative done by this fellow that talks about a conversation that took place for a week between the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Tutu. And it's fascinating. Well, anyway, I didn't know that at the time, but I saw the book there and I said, Sally, are you, what is that? She says, oh, I just got it from the library and I'm listening to it. It's wonderful. And I thought, if this is something Sally is listening to, I'm interested. And the subject and all of the discussions in the book are about joy. By the end of the week, I had downloaded the audio. I had a hard copy. And this way I could read back and forth, listen and read, listen and read. And I think maybe this would make a very good book if folks were interested for a book club maybe in the fall. We, we can talk more about that. And right inside the jacket of the book is this quote. It's a question, really. It says... Is it really possible to be joyful even in the face of our daily troubles? From frustration with morning traffic to fears of not being able to provide for our families. From anger at those who have wronged us to the grief at the loss of those we love. From the ravages of illness to the abyss of death. How do we embrace the reality of our lives? Deny nothing but transcend the pain and suffering that is inescapable. And even when our lives are good, how do we live in joy so that many others, when they are suffering, how do we do that? How do we live in joy when others are suffering? When crushing poverty robs people of their future, when violence and terror fill our streets, and when colloquial devastation endangers the very possibility of life on our planet. This book is an attempt to answer these questions and many more. I long knew about the playful relationship between His Holiness the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Desmond Tutu. These two spiritual leaders have a respect and an admiration for each other that creates this ease that they have to the way where they're, they're like children with each other. They laugh and they tease each other. They have reached a level of understanding and spirituality that lifts up love in its union to compassion and joy. Not just as something that came along in the course of human development, but connecting to something that was there before anything. Last week I asked Sean if we could sing this morning or, or hear the music for We Are the World, which the choir will bring to us in a little while. 
I was thinking about Communion Sunday when I asked that, that, you know, we are the world. We come together as the world. It's this table, but it's the world that's gathered. At that time, I had yet to visit with Sally. I had yet to start thinking about joy for this morning. Instead, I was thinking about how some settings restrict this table to others. How some are welcome and some are not. And how many of my friends and me would not serve in a place where the table was not open to all. So we are the world thematically and musically was to lift up that sentiment that I know is here, that we share, that I am so grateful is here because I feel it all the time from you. And if I do anything, I hope I reflect that back to you. But as I read through the Book of Joy, there was this persistent invitation into my thoughts, self-directed invitation from the book, reminding me of the importance of welcoming all to the table, but in ways that are a bit grander, perhaps. That such an invitation is actually a joyful expression of the light of the world. It's an expression of God's love. It is an expression of our independence and our freedom. Come to the table. It is what affirms what the song says. We are the world. And what the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Tutu embody the joy of such truth. And you know, it has always been so. It is nothing new. We have people who come along now and then and say things in a way that we go, wow. And it's not so much that we haven't heard that before as it is that it's said in a way that reminds us that we hear it more personally, perhaps. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus, according to John, said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. It occurs to me that Jesus might also have said, the light is in you, as it is in me. You follow the light, I follow the light. Together we walk and we follow the light. Another problem with doing bulletins in advance sometimes is you come up with a sermon title and then when it comes time to write your sermon, you go, how does this, this doesn't fit. And so this sermon title about the speed of light being so slow. Actually, at the time I put it together, I was thinking about how slowly things change. I have impatience. I don't apologize for my impatience when it comes to certain things. Justice, fairness, peace. I have no patience. I know I have to work in a way that's constructive and that I can't live on the edge of the impatience like a power cord in an outlet without anything on the end and the wires just fraying around doing nothing but sparking. But inside, I don't have any patience for that. 
So I was thinking about how slowly things move and how it's not fast enough and how we want to see things change and renew. I didn't know at the time that I would be wandering between joy and light, new and old testament, the table set for all, independence and freedom, and a dose of science to pull it all closer together. And honestly, I found myself in over my head. Which seems to be a place I like. I have no idea why. But it's, it's curious, it's fun, you wander around, you're never quite sure what you're going to discover. So let there be light. Let there be light. 13.7 billion years ago, in a hundredth of a billionth of a trillionth of a trillionth of a second in age, in that impossibly small measure of time, space and all the building blocks were created. Everything. So says science. In that 10 to the negative 34th of a second, the universe, a fraction of the size of an atom and incredibly hot when formed, then immediately began to cool and to expand. We're told that God saw that it was good. The light had come and it was good. And you know what I discovered in this meandering? My sermon title would work. You know why? Because in relationship to creation, that moment in the Big Bang, everything was moving faster than the speed of light. The speed of light was a slow poke at that moment of intense expansion and heat. Yes, light travels at 186,000 miles a second. And with the sun being 93 million miles away, that means that sun that's reflecting through these windows right now left the sun eight minutes ago. The sun we think is still there, but we don't know for the next eight minutes. I mean eight seconds, sorry, not minutes. Eight seconds ago, that's how long it takes for the physical aspect of light to reach the earth. Is it minutes? You're right. Told you I was in over my head. Yet we consider the speed of light as a barrier, don't we? It draws that line in time and travel. And it is formidable to even consider what a light year is, the distance traveled at the speed of light for an earth time of year. But at that moment of creation, that moment of the Big Bang, according to science, it was all happening well beyond the speed of light. That's staggering to think about. And quantum physics provides us with examples today that indicate that the speed of light is not the barrier it once was thought to be. There's something in quantum physics called entanglement. And it is when two atoms, electrons, atoms, two atoms, when they are together, they react together. They they, when it moves, one moves, when it moves, one moves. And when they are light years away, when this moves, that moves. It's this entanglement theory. It's something like the mirror neurons that when you yawn, I yawn, there's a neuron in my head that reflects the neuron in yours. And it's not the air or the lack of oxygen or that we're both tired. It's that something inside is entangled. And that 
light years away, even these atoms will respond quicker than it would take to travel the distance. The speed of light is a slowpoke. So the force that began all this, the force that created the force, is beyond comprehension. Is it any wonder then that the disciples and all of humanity since has had such a hard time understanding Jesus and the teachings of others sent to guide us? What became clear to me to the extent that I can process it is that this creation of all there is, the we of the we are the world, does in fact reflect the independence we share, but not as we think about it in our Western thought. Not as individualism, but as a hyphenated condition of our existence. We are of independence to creation. We all depend on the same creation for our existence. The one that Jesus talks about when Jesus says the one. The Paul refers to as the children of God and the body of Christ, neither Christian nor Jew. The one we all are. It begins to sound more like insight into cosmology of love than inherit it begins to sound more like insight into cosmology of love that preceded all that there is rather than a religion or a faith journey that draws us closer to God. And yet, I don't know how to tease them apart. And what we see as expansion of the universe, this slow, slow expansion that slows down over time and begins to contract is actually a dependence upon that creation that brings us back together. We celebrate the birthday of the United States of America the independence of our nation, July 4th, 1776. And the first thing we did to celebrate our independence was to name ourselves the United States of America, not the individual, separated, isolated states, the United States of America. So that this independence inherently has a connection to being united in some way to remind us that we are all connected. It's the before part that the Book of Joy impossibly touches in the simplest of terms, revealing the emotion of creation and the way to attain it. When God said, it is good, it was a joyful noise. The emotion of God's creative force was joy, joy to the world. When asked about the nature of this joy, the Archbishop said what every teaching has taught us, quote, I mean simply to say that ultimately our greatest gift, our greatest joy is when we seek to do good for others. It is how we are made. I mean, we're wired to be compassionate. It's a reminder to me that these teachers are still revealing the God that is speaking to us today. Wired for compassion. That the greatest gift we can share with another 
is in some way to be kind or compassionate. And compassion is there again, entangled in the joy. We talked about compassion last week, that Jesus learned compassion, we think, in some ways. And then all of the feedings refer to his compassion for others. Anyone who accepts what I do from this morning's reading accepts God who sent me. Accepting a messenger of God is as good as being God's messenger. Accepting someone's help is as good as giving someone help. It is entangled. There's no separation. I'm going to help you. Done. No. I'm going to help you. I'm going to let you help me. And then uh, we're going to help others. And we're going to let them help us. It is not opposite ends. It is the same. It is one. Joy, compassion, are elemental in creation. They existed somehow, some way before creation, or they wouldn't be here. Did Jesus know these things? It seems he might have. And joy, the deep and abiding joy rooted in compassion, even in the midst of our sorrow, is our birthright, as Archbishop Tutu says. So how do we reach this joy? We come to the table. Did anybody here have a sense of joy when Matthew was standing at the table? Same joy we have for each other. We share a meal and we remember that we are of joy. We're of joy. It's our birthright. Let it sink in. Because honestly, I don't know how to analyze it or understand it. I have no idea. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Meditate, breathe, sing, knit, focus, and let God be God in us without us having to figure it out. Just be. We are the creation, not the creator. We can't create the warmth of the sun, but we can feel it if we sit in it still and quietly long enough. Abram's introduction says this, the Dalai Lama and the Archbishop are two of the great spiritual masters of our time, but they are also moral leaders who transcend their own traditions and speak always from a concern for humanity as a whole. Their courage and resilience and dogged hope in humanity inspire millions as they refuse to give in to the fashionable cynicism that risks engulfing us. Their joy is clearly not easy or superficial, but one burnished by the fire of adversity, oppression, and struggle. The Dalai Lama and the Archbishop remind us that joy is our birthright and even more fundamental than happiness for while happiness is often seen as being dependent on external circumstances, joy is not. When we come to the table, we travel in time, beyond time, returning to the joy that forms every cell and space between in our body and creation, the gift of God for the people of God. The joy of God for the we are of this world, the unification in love and the joy and the freedom to choose what is already ours, the absolute dependence on God and the God in one another 
is perhaps the greatest freedom and gift at the same time. How could we not invite all to the table to which we have been invited? Joy to the world, my friends, and to you. Joy and happy independence and unification day. Amen.